So brothers and sisters, on this Palm and Passion Sunday, I'm going to preach to you this morning on this topic, right, of Jesus is Lord. That's my sermon title, Jesus is Lord. And what's interesting, how on Palm and Passion Sunday, we have these two contrasts, this triumphal entry by Jesus into Jerusalem contrasted with his death on the cross. So on February 2nd of this year, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers met each other in Miami Gardens, Florida to play at Super Bowl 54. And after a long, hard-fought game, the Chiefs won for the first time since Super Bowl IV in 1970. And then on February 5th, the team entered into Kansas City for a victory celebration. There was a parade, the team rode by, they lifted up the Lombardi Trophy in the air, and the city was electric with excitement, rejoicing in the triumph of their team and the victory that they won. There's something in us as human beings that wants to celebrate monumental occasions. We want to party, we want to rejoice when something amazing happens, when our team wins, when our favorite actor or actress gets that, that coveted golden statue. We have these parades celebrating our sports teams, and we have these award shows honoring different performers in the music and the arts. And we, as a culture, love the appearance of victory, of triumph, and we love to put on displays of victory and of triumph. Even the best-selling sneaker brand is <laughs> triumph. Thank you. In the ancient world, though, so did the people of the Roman Empire. And the, 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 the person, historian Josephus, he described the triumph given to Titus after he raised Jerusalem and destroyed it. So Titus was given a triumph, this parade through the city of Rome. And he describes ornate floats, the captured prisoners on display, their wounds and disfigurements contrasting which the, with the rich clothes that they were made to wear. And Titus writing attired and wreathed in man-made glory and jewels and gems and burnished armor. All of this spoke to the power, the might, and the glory of Rome. To the Romans and their conquered peoples, they had a Lord. And the Lord for the Romans was Caesar. And the Caesars were even worshipped as a god. And this is not something that was unique to the Romans. This was very common in the ancient world. But the Romans, they're at the peak of their power, and nothing could stand in their way, except a small group of people scattered all over the Roman Empire who said something curious. That an itinerant teacher, born in a backwater town, in a backwater place, who was executed by the state via crucifixion, somehow rose from death and was actually the true Lord of the world. And if this person were Lord, then anyone else's claim to lordship would be invalid. As St. Paul said in today's epistle reading in Philippians 2, verses 10 to 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today is not just Palm Sunday, it is also Passion Sunday, hence the readings we heard from Matthew 27. 
we began the service by processing around and louding Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now for the Jews, who would the Lord be? Yahweh, the God of Israel, the only true God. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, called by God to rescue his people from slavery, Moses asked God, who shall I tell them is sending me? God responds, I am, which in Hebrew is Yahweh. And in Greek, it gets translated as Kyrios, which is the word Lord. Over the centuries, the, the word Yahweh was translated as Lord, and we see this in our Bibles today. Whenever you see Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, it's a reference to the divine name. Jesus then, as he rides through Jerusalem in Matthew 21, is hailed as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But as St. Paul tells us in Philippians, and we see the, the, the irony in, in the text of Matthew, Jesus actually is the Lord. The Lord is coming to his people. They've been awaiting this. They've been expecting it. And the Lord has finally come, just as he promised he would. And notice how he comes. There aren't any floats. He's not robed in expensive purple robes. Not on a chariot. No expensive jewelry. He's not riding the best horse available. He comes in humility. Because the way of Christ is the way of humility. And his act of humility is a sign, along with his crucifixion, of the way that the love of God works. It's almost as if his triumphal entry into Jerusalem is a mockery of the triumphs of all other would-be kings and rulers and powers. What appears to be a joke is secretly announcing Jesus' coming, his actual triumph that's on the way, not only to those gathered in Jerusalem, but also to all the powers of evil, the demons and Satan and their lordship. And that lordship is also at an end, right? St. Paul says the things on the earth and under the earth, he's referring to not only just human beings, but also human institutions. And he's also speaking of the spiritual powers of evil that, that affect and negatively influence us. In the reading from Matthew, Jesus, the true Lord of all, is brought before the governor of Judea, Pilate. And we know from history, Pilate was not a great governor, and he was sent back to Rome in disgrace, as his region was always a powder keg, and he didn't do a really good job of overseeing it. But at the moment, as the governor of Judea, he represents in a very real way the true power of the region. Sure, the, 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 the Romans let the Herods rule the area, but the true power, and no one ever forgot this, was always the fist of Rome. And Jesus is brought before the representatives of Rome, the masters and lords of the world, to be judged. To be judged. Pilate was told that Jesus claimed to be king, which we know to be true. But this is dangerous because if Jesus is truly the king, then what does this mean for Judea? The threat of revolt hangs over anyone who makes this claim. And Pilate asks him directly, and Jesus responds, you have said so. And Pilate presses him over and over on the charges against him, but Jesus does not respond. But the claim to be the king is already enough to condemn Jesus 
in the eyes of Rome. Because in the eyes of Rome, there can only be one Lord. Before his custom meant to curry favor with the Judeans, Pilate gives them an option to release Jesus or a robber named Barabbas. And I think the motivation here is trying to give them an option so terrible that they, of course, would not choose to have Jesus released. It's like asking somebody to choose between Coke or Pepsi. Coke tastes much better than Pepsi. It's not even a choice. So when given the option, of course you're going to say, yes, of course I want a Coke. Get out of here with this Pepsi nonsense. This is what's going on here. He's giving them, here's Jesus, a person who he thinks is righteous, a person who his wife thinks is righteous, and Barabbas, a wicked criminal. Choose between the two. It's obvious, right? You're going to want the guy who's righteous to go free. But that doesn't happen. They choose Barabbas. Pilate then chooses to have Jesus handed over for crucifixion then. Confronted with the lordship of Jesus, Pilate and the religious leaders of the people, they choose their own lord over the lord. They choose their lord over the lord of all. And in the text from Philippians that we heard, it's so powerful because we see this lordship that Jesus has veiled on display in fullness. This portion of Philippians is thought by some to be one of the earliest hymns of the church, possibly written by St. Paul himself. And in this slide, this text says something that is awe-inspiring. It starts with the assertion that Jesus is God, but did not grasp to his rights as God when he took on human flesh. This does not mean that when Christ became human, he gave up his divinity. There's a commentator who wrote, equality with God was something he already possessed, but which he chose not to use for his own advantage. He emptied himself, St. Paul says, specifically by becoming human and being born as human and living life as a human being with everything that comes with it. He is obedient to the will of the Father and gives his life as a sacrifice for all through the cross. Therefore, he has been exalted and given the name above every name. This does not mean that Jesus' status before becoming human was less, and now he is greater after his resurrection. It is that God bestows upon him the honor he already had, but did not claim for himself. Jesus Christ's obedience, his becoming human and suffering death, is the ultimate expression of humility and one we are all called to participate in. Jesus' lordship over all things is exercised through his humility. It is only after humility comes exaltation. St. John Chrysostom said, For it is not possible to obtain glory any other way than by fleeing from glory. For as long as we pursue it, it flies from us. But when we flee from it, it pursues us. When we seek glory, when we seek our own glory, it flees from us. But when we flee from trying to obtain glory for ourselves, it finds us. When confronted by Pilate, Jesus did not exercise his lordship over Pilate. When confronted by the religious leaders, Jesus did not exercise his lordship over them. 
When nailed to the cross, he did not exercise his lordship over the angels and have them deliver him. And this is our way, brothers and sisters, when confronted by the many different things that masquerade as lords in our own lives, how many of them ask, us, ask of us with humility? None. How many other competing lords only ask of us what they themselves have done first? None. Because all other things that seek to set themselves as lords do so by coercion or by utilizing temptation or by trickery. Only our Lord Jesus calls us to follow him in the way he set out for us first. He does not exercise his lordship, even as he's being nailed to the cross, even as the soldiers give him a crown and give him a staff and clothe him with robes in a mockery of who he actually is. He is actually the, he is actually Lord. The things that they mean to demean him, the things that they use to try to shame him through his humility are the ultimate testimony of who he says he is. And the thing is, brothers and sisters, our world tells us the way forward is by selfish ambition. Our world tells us that we need to forsake everything in pursuit of our dreams, our wants, our desires. Our dreams of comfort and our dreams of security and our dreams of peace and our dreams of prosperity are more potent lords than Jesus, it seems at times. Because we drop everything to serve those things, to serve our own lusts. And some even make Jesus the means to obtaining those things and worship him as Lord so long as he gives them what they want. But this is not the way of our Lord, brothers and sisters. This is not the way of the incarnation. This is not the way of the cross. And this is not the way of the resurrection. And brothers and sisters, as we move through Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday, through to Holy Week and into Easter, may we remember that all of the other things that claim lordship over us, whatever it may be, all of the, the ties that we have, everything that we are forced to be laying aside right now because of the coronavirus, because of our inability to go out, all of these other things external from us that demand our attention, it's almost as if God has used this to take all of those things away. And we can respond either by saying, I want that. This is mine. I should be able to still do that. I don't care. I'm a free American. I can do whatever I want. Or we could use this time to seek the Lord while he may still be found, to repent of our sins, to pray for each other, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for our nation, and ultimately, brothers and sisters, to lament the time that we are spent apart from one another. Because as helpful and as, as useful as technology can be, as helpful when it works as live streaming can be, this is not a substitute for our gathering together. And so our response should be to lament. And we've lost that idea. We should be lamenting the loss of seeing each other and worshiping together as the gathered body of Christ. We can do that virtually for a time, 
but that cannot take the place of our gathering, our being gathered together to hear the word of God preached, to receive of the sacraments of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we use this time wisely, this time of separation. May we lament. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that as we think about the claims of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and those claims upon us, if we claim to be his followers, that we would take those claims seriously. That instead of forsaking everything in pursuit of our dreams and our desires and our comfort and our security and our own peace and prosperity, may we have the same mind as Christ Jesus, as St. Paul reminds us. May we learn to humble ourselves to the point of death, even the death on the cross, as we submit to the only true Lord of all things, of all things, of all things, not just our own personal, individual, private lives, but Christ is the Lord of everything. The entire universe, everything within it, belongs to Christ. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we can either bow our knee and confess him as Lord in gratitude and love now, or when he returns, we can grudgingly bow our knee, not having made use of the time that we have available to repent and receive him, and do so in terror. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who today entered Jerusalem for our sake, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting, and his all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen.